Let's now go to God's Word. Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 5, through chapter 2, verse 4. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, He makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be unchanged, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. This is God's word. What we just heard was the very word of God. Amen. Amen. So some time ago, I, I went to Kroger to buy a furnace filter. And I know that sounds crazy because most of y'all didn't know Kroger sold furnace filters, but they do. I'm teaching you something this morning. So go with me. I bought this furnace filter from Kroger. Isn't that crazy? Uh, While I'm grabbing some milk, uh, get some deli meat, you know, get some uh, tire shine for my car, and a furnace filter next to the duct tape. How in the world does one store sell all of these things? See, Kroger is up to something. They have this master plan in mind. They want to be considered as a one-stop shop. They want all of your money. Because they know if they don't have everything in their store, you're liable to go somewhere else. Like Walmart. Walmart has everything. Like you, I think you could sleep in Walmart and survive for weeks. Seriously. I mean, they got tents, they got food, they got air mattresses. You could survive in Walmart. And they even got Target, y'all. Target is the same way. 
Did anybody remember when Tarjay did not have food? Anybody remember those days? Now you walk into Target, you you can get some oil for your car, you can get some new windshield wipers, and you can get a gallon of milk, and you can get an air mattress. Whatever you need, they have it. Why? Because they want to be a one-stop shop. Everything you need is found in our store. Get this. You don't have to look any further. We have everything that you might need right here. Don't go anywhere else. And when we come to the book of Hebrews, that's exactly what we see. We see the writer of Hebrews making this declaration and holding up Jesus Christ as if to say, everything that you need is found in Him. Look no further. You don't have to go anywhere else. You don't have to trust in anything else. Everything that you need is found in Him. He's all-sufficient. Everything can be found in Jesus Christ. Let's pray this morning. Father, thank you for time together. Thank you for a message of good news. Thank you, Lord, that you did not leave us to our own devices, but you are keeping us. You are watching over us. And I pray, God, that you would meet with us this morning. I pray, God, that we would encounter you and... Father, I understand that in a group this size, there is somebody who has a deep longing and wants to connect with you this morning. God, would you meet with them? Would you speak to them? Would you encourage their hearts? Would you challenge and would you convict of sin? God, would you draw us in closer to you through our time together? God, move me aside that we may genuinely encounter you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. If you're just joining us, uh, last week we jumped into Hebrews and it was our goal to see the bigness of Christ. We saw that Jesus is bigger than anything we're tempted to look to, that Jesus is bigger than anything we face, and that He has made purification for our sins. And what's interesting about the book of Hebrews is over and over again, five times in just the first chapter alone, the writer of Hebrews references the Psalms. And this is a beautiful thing because what the writer of Hebrew does, he uses the Psalms, the writer uses the Psalms to remind his readers of the supremacy of Christ. So they would think about the Psalms as they're reading Hebrews chapter 1 and they think about how they had sang the songs of the Psalms. They, They would think about how they had recited the Psalms and we see the writer of Hebrews reminding them, and he's over and over again pointing back to the Psalms, even just in the first chapter alone. He wants them to understand the bigness of Christ. And Hebrews will attest to it. Essentially, the writer of Hebrews, he makes the case that there is a temptation in all of us to pay attention to everything but the right thing. Ever been there? There is this temptation, this pull that pulls us in every direction but the right direction. 
and, and I would tell you this morning that the Apostle Paul would agree. He would say himself that the very things that I don't want to do are the very things I find myself doing. There's this temptation that pulls us into the direction of elevating things above Christ. And the writer of Hebrews is attempting to caution us. He wants us to see the character of Jesus Christ as supreme. This is our passage this morning. The, the writer of Hebrews, he, he does some heavy lifting that the readers might see, get this, that Christ is set apart. That He's not like anything else that we are tempted to serve and worship. That Christ is set apart. One of the first things we've got to see is that Christ is all because of His position. That Christ is all because of His position. Look at verse 5 with me. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my Son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to Him a Father, and He will be to me a Son. Even in verse 13, look at this. The writer of Hebrews says, And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for you. And what we see here is that Christ has a special position. A couple different times in the first uh, few verses of Hebrews chapter 1, what we see is that Christ has the position of a son. And not only that, but he sits at the right hand of the Father. See, when you are a son, it's a special relationship. And not to mention, if you are the son of a wealthy father, it's incredibly special. Because all the benefits of the Father, you get to enjoy. Everything the Father has belongs to you. And you have this enormous inheritance that you will one day acquire. Everything that the Father has belongs to you. That's why Jesus has a special position. It's incredible to me, and this is one of the things that kind of rubs me the wrong way about Donald Trump, y'all. Just, just, just roll with me, alright? Um, here is a guy who spews out all of this stuff about how there's no other businessman as great as him, and yet he very seldomly acknowledges that his father has given him millions. Uh, here is a guy who is talking about how he is so great of a businessman when your daddy has given you millions of dollars. And what we see here is the, the writer of Hebrews essentially saying that Jesus Christ has more than a wealthy father. That he stands on the platform of his father and he is proud of it. And everybody ought to know. And because of it, he has a special position. He sits at the right hand of his father and he is just not an anybody. He's a son. And all that belongs to the father belongs to him. Yet, you and I need to realize... That I hear you when you when you read this passage, you over and over again you encounter this whole thing about angels. 
And I want to minimize that. I think it's important because here, the angels are divine beings. They're, they're supernatural. And so that's important. But what I think the writer of Hebrews is doing is he is showing the temptation to take a good thing and make it a great thing. And he, he is cautioning his readers that yes, angels are a good thing, but you can take that good thing and you can make it a great thing. And that's called idolizing. And what I want to tell you this morning is that each of us have that issue. That that's the struggle within all of us to take good things and make them great things. That's the struggle in every marriage to take a good marriage and make it the ultimate marriage. That's the struggle in parenting to to take the good thing of parenting and raising up your children and to idolize those children and make them the greatest thing since sliced bread. And I think what the writer of Hebrews would point us to is the reality that not angels, not a marriage, not parenting, not your singleness and your ability to kill it at work should be supreme over Christ Jesus. He's greater than all of it. Because he has an amazing position. And I realize what the old folks used to say. He sits high and he looks low. And I'm really understanding what they meant by that. He sits high and he looks low. They were esteeming his position. See, Jesus has a a different position. And he is everything because of this Position. See, to be a son, to sit at the right hand of the Father, means you have all the rights and the privileges of the Father. Uh, it's so crazy to me that, um, you know, uh, y'all, can I just say, I drive a Honda, okay? I'm going to tell you why I said that. I drive a Honda. And I drive a Honda on purpose. One of the reasons I drove a Honda, I drive a Honda now is because the, my cars previously, uh, they would get me uh, some undue attention, if you know what I mean. Uh, they would get, they would bring some undue attention and so now I drive a Honda and it is my hope that this undue attention would go away. But it hasn't completely. So not long ago, I was, I was driving down Union Avenue, and all of a sudden, this car gets behind me. Just a normal car with dark tinted windows. And then I see this little flashing light in the, 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 the front mirror. And I'm thinking, oh, that's weird, but I just keep driving. And then I see these hands directing me to pull over. That's the strangest thing. But y'all, y'all gotta know, I, I, I'm from the hood of St. Louis, so I ain't pulling over for folks I don't know. <laughs> so, you know what I do? I, I, I pick up the phone, my cell phone, and I call 911. And so I, I'm on the phone with 911. There is this car that's a tell, trying to tell me to pull over. I hit my hazard lights and I, and I drive slow on the right-hand side and I ain't stopping. And you know what the operator at 911 says? Don't stop. Keep going to a heavily trafficked area. And that's exactly what I attempt to do. But then they get upset. 
They speed up, true story, speed up on the left side of me. And, and by the time they get parallel to my car, the, the passenger is hanging out of the window yelling at me, telling me to pull over. True story. And by that time, then I can see who they are. I, I can see the vest that says police and narcotics. And, and I can see who they are by this time. And uh, you know what I did next? I pulled over. <laughs> um, yes, I did. And they were furious. They cut me off and they jumped out of the car. Their car blocking mine. True story. I'm driving a Honda. You know what I'm saying? I'm just like, come on. Give me a break. They jump out of the car. They're yelling at me. They pull me out of the car. Uh, I hang up the phone with 911 because this is serious business. And I'm afraid. And they jump out of the car. They pull me out of the car. And you know what I tell them? I did not know who you were. You were out of position. I didn't have any idea who you were. Now when I realized who you were, I pulled over. You were out of position. Now when I realized who you were and I realized that you are now in position, I I pull over and I yield to you. Here's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. God is lifting up his son. He sits at the right hand of the father. He calls him son. He is the only begotten son. He is the only one who is brought forth by God himself. And when God shows up, when his son shows up, everything ought to stop. And we ought to worship him. We ought to reverence him. We ought to look to Him because He is all sufficient. Everything that we need can be found in Him. He has a great position. But secondly, we need to see that Christ is all because of His power. Christ is all because of His his power. Look at verse 8 with me. But of the Son, He says, Your throne, O God, Is forever and ever the scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. Then in verse 10, you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning and the heavens are the work of your hands. It continues in verse 11. They will perish, but you remain. And the writer of Hebrews essentially says in verse 12, everything else will perish and everything else will be changed, but you are the same and your years will have no end. Nobody can claim the reign and rule like Christ can. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is putting forth. That nobody else can look to the heavens and the earth and say, I did that. Nobody else can claim the power that Christ can claim. Nobody else can look to the lush mountains and the rocky mountains and say, I did that. And you know what's a beautiful thing about this? Because the writer of Hebrews clearly understands Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. The writer of Hebrews remembers, 
I know that he remembers. He, the writer remembers when God would step on the scene and he would begin to create ex nihilo. He, he would create something out of nothing. And the God of the universe would say from his own mouth, let there be light and light was. And he said it was good. And then he'd say, let there be water and, and, and water was. And he'd say, it's good. And let there be fish of the sea and birds of the air and animals on the ground. And, and they happened, they came. And God would say, this is good. And the writer of Hebrews is not crazy. What he's doing here in saying that Christ is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He's saying that Christ is not just a man, but he is God. He is superior to anything that you and I can compare him to. That Christ is not just a good messenger. He's not just a good teacher, but he is God. He's the creator of the universe. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's Jehovah Jireh. He's Jehovah Nisi. He has power and He is God. He's God. Are y'all here with me this morning? Y'all can talk back to me. I'm okay with that. That that, that won't scare me. Uh, He's God. He's the creator of the universe and the writer of Hebrews understands this. Listen to how Paul describes Christ in Colossians chapter 1. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation for by him all things were created in heaven and in earth visible and invisible whether thrones and dominions or rulers or authorities all things were created through him and for him and he is before all things and in him all things are held together. The apostle Paul would say with the writer of Hebrews that Jesus Christ is better that he is in Enough that He is all in all, that He's the creator of the universe, and there is no good thing that you and I would attempt to make and elevate unto a great thing that can compare to Christ Jesus. Do you believe that this morning? That there's no good thing that you and I could create in our minds or in our hearts and materialize that would become greater than Christ. There's no thing that we could give our allegiance to. There's no thing that we could give our worship to. Because when it's all said and done and and the car deteriorates, when it's all said and done and the house is done and gone away with, when it's all said and done and there's no need for a marriage anymore and there's no need for parenting children, Christ will remain the same. Christ will remain the same. He will never change. It's his power. It's his position. And we've got to beg the question, if Christ is all because of his position, and if Christ is all because of his power, is there anything worthy of competing with him? We've got to beg the question that since Christ has the right position, and since Christ has enough power to be the creator of the universe, is there any circumstance that Christ can't work in the midst of? 
Is there anything that we might deal with in our lives that, that, you, that is greater than His power? Is there any struggle that we may face that's greater than the Creator of the universe? And the, the writer of Hebrews would give a resounding no. That not only is He in a great position and He is a person of great power. It's so crazy, y'all. Um, I was in my backyard and got this little um, got this little uh, little flower bed in my backyard. It's really only got some bushes because I'm, I'm I don't have a green thumb. And I was pulling out weeds with this little gardening tool. And I'm just back there by myself, plugging away, and I'm I'm picking out these weeds with this little gardening tool, and I come across the fattest worm I've ever seen. And true story, this worm is huge. And I say out loud, "You better get back under that dirt, for for a bird eats you." I say that out loud because you know when you're picking weeds by yourself, you talk to worms. That's what you. That's what people do, right? You know. Um, so literally, I'm, I, I, I cover the worm back up. I'm trying to protect him. Y'all, true story. Two minutes later, a bird swoops down and latches onto the worm and drags the worm into the lawn and begins eating the worm. Then, in an instant, a bigger bird swoops down and takes this, I'm watching all of this, takes this worm from this smaller bird and goes off in the abyss. It's the craziest thing to check out. And and what I'm thinking is, if God can provide for the sparrows, if God can, the creator of the universe can think enough of these birds to, to provide for them. How much more can he provide for us? Uh, how much more is his power available for those that he has created in his own image? How much more? If the creator of the universe provides for the birds, how much more will he provide for us? He is in the right position and he has the right amount of power. And lastly, Christ is all because of his provision. Look at verse 14 with me. The writer of Hebrews says of the angels, Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? I like this. Here's what the writer is saying. The angels cannot save. See, the the angels can only minister to the ones who've trusted in Christ. The angels have no ability to save. And what you and I should hear is anything we would attempt to elevate above Christ has no ability to save. There is no salvation. There is no rescuing power in anything that we would attempt to elevate above Christ. They cannot save. And then the writer of Hebrew continues in chapter 2, verse 1. Look at this with me. He says, pay close attention to what we've heard. Because there always is the temptation to drift. Because there is no escape if we neglect a great salvation. Isn't that so true? 
that there is always this temptation to move away from the things of God. There's always this temptation to drift away and to move away from the message of Christ. The things of this world tempt us to move away. And what the writer of Hebrews says is, when we drift away, there are consequences. And he points us to this passage and he tells us, I want to caution you. What he's doing here is the first warning in in the book of Hebrews. And he's warning that if we drift from the message of the gospel, there will be consequences. Let that sober us up this morning. This is the message of Christ. And it's incredibly crazy to me because what the writer of Hebrews says is, The provision of Christ was made. There was a provision of Christ made through his own sacrifice. He's pointing us to the gospel of Jesus. And he's saying, Christ has done for you what you could never begin to do for yourself. Christ stood in your place for your sin. Christ took upon the guilt on your behalf. And nobody took his life. He gave it up willingly for you. Christ said, I will die the death of crucifixion for you. And it's out of love. And we know this, the writer of Hebrew continues, because the Lord declared it to us. And then there were witnesses. And then there were signs and wonders. We know the gospel message is true because the Lord declared it to us and there were witnesses and not only were there witnesses, but there were also signs and wonders. And I bet that there are some of us here this morning that can say, I hear you, writer of Hebrews. It's not just the testimony of the Lord. It's not just the witnesses. It's not just the signs and the wonders, but I will step forward as a testimony myself. That God has picked me up out of the miry clay. That he pulled me out of the pit. That I was addicted. That I was bogged down in my own sin. That pride was ruling my heart. And greed was ruling my heart. But God set me free through his son Jesus. I know that there's some who could testify that this morning as well. That he rescued me. That he saved me. That he intervened in my life. That he delivered me. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that there is only salvation in Jesus Christ. He is lifting Christ up that we may see the very character of Jesus Christ. That he is enough. That everything can be found in him. That we don't have to look any further because of his power, because of his position, and because of his provision. That you and I don't have to look any further because Christ has made a way for us. There's this Jesuit-led university hundreds of years ago. Uh, in 1838, there was this Jesuit-led university by some Jesuit priests. And in 1838, this university fell on some hard financial times. Uh, 
this university uh, began to struggle financially, and they were literally going to have to close their doors if they didn't do anything drastic. And here they are having to make some tough decisions. It was led by two Jesuit priests. And in 1838, you know what they did? They made the decision to sell 272 slaves, men, women, and children, that they may receive the funds to save Georgetown University. 272 slaves were sold that Georgetown University might be rescued. There was a provision made and all of these slaves, their lives were giving over to save this university. And the the writer in the New York Times, you, you know the question that he begged? He said, yeah, I know that this was a heinous thing. But my question is... How can we repay the descendants of these slaves? How can we pay back the debt? How can we right the wrong? How are we to pay back those who literally gave their lives up and away for the sake of Georgetown University? How are we to repay them? And I'm here to tell you this morning, this is the picture of the sacrifice of Christ. This is the picture of the provision of Christ. Christ lays his life down. And you and I ought to ask ourselves the question, how can we repay him? He gives over his life with his own blood. He takes a cat of nine tails. He takes a crown of thorns on his head. He takes mocking and beating almost beyond recognition. And you and I should be able to beg the question, how can we repay him? He's given his all. He's given his very life. How can we repay him? Because Christ... Is all because he has made the ultimate sacrifice. Do you believe it? Have you received that for yourself? Is that a part of your life? Have you said yes to the reality that Christ has made the sacrifice that you could never make for yourself? While you were still a sinner, while you were still doing your dirt, Christ sacrificed Himself out of love for you and I, that we may say yes to Him. Because we don't have to look any further. He's a one-stop shop. We don't have to go anywhere else. All we have to do is look to the all-sufficient One. Christ is all in all because of His Provision. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you've made a way. Thank you that you've provided a way of escape for us. Father, thank you that that way of escape is through your only begotten Son. Father, we pray that we would recognize his love through sacrifice. That we would recognize His mercy and His grace through His sacrifice. And that God, You would wreck us until we say yes to it. And I pray, Father, maybe as somebody on the ride home, God, would You disturb our worlds until we say yes. 
pray You wouldn't give us rest till we receive Christ to be a one-stop shop all in all that we might accept Him for who He is. Now, God, we pray that You would bless these gifts, these offerings that we're about to receive. Lord, I pray that we would be sacrificial givers because all that we have belongs to You. And I pray that we would give in trusting what we give to You. That You would multiply, God. That You would use these gifts in Memphis, Tennessee and to the uttermost parts of the earth, to the nations, God, that You would use these gifts. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.